This morning I want to talk on Paul, and I've entitled the talk, Jew, Roman Citizen, and Messiah Follower. Now, if you think you're culturally mixed up, welcome to the group. Okay? We all live in unusual places. There's tension around us all the time. We're, we may be English-speaking, living in a majority Zulu area, or Zulu-speaking, living in a majority English area. We speak Afrikaans, or we come from another nation, or we're living in a mixed environment. The message and life of Paul speaks to us profoundly. And I think Paul speaks to us very profoundly about our day today. Because what is going on in the world today is absolutely crazy. You know, three days ago in Egypt, men disguised as military walked into a bus and shot, I think, 25 people dead. And the, 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 the balance of the bus lived. There were, a, there were a Christian, local Christians, Egyptian Christians, going on a pilgrimage to a monastery. Since December, at the end of last year, there have been four major attacks, suicide bomb attacks and attacks in Egypt, one in our city, one not far from our city in Cairo, and this, the other day south of Cairo. IS, which is Islamic State, has an agenda to remove the Christians from North Africa and the Middle East. It's a very violent agenda, but I want to say it's nothing new. I spoke to a Coptic priest a few weeks ago, and he said, the blood of the martyrs has been spilt. And as we... As I heard you guys say, let's pray for South Africa, this is what we do as church, isn't it? We're all part of one big church. And the prayer that I want to pray now, and I'd ask you to join me, and I'm so encouraged by what was in the newsletter about praying for Muslims. They're, they're in their second day of their fast of Ramadan. If you can remember the word Ramadan, Karim, which is an Arabic word. If you know any Muslim people, say that to them, please, which means may God be generous to you during this time. I ask you as Christians to love your Muslim neighbor passionately. Don't let these incidences turn your heart against your Muslim neighbor. Mark very profoundly said that God is at work in every single human being. And I want to pray, and I'll ask you to join me in prayer, not just for Egypt, for all of us, that we would ask God to have mercy. I believe that is the most important prayer to pray when things like this happen. Not like, God, take your hand and smash them. I believe the early church were prayed often, and they prayed, Lord, have mercy. And you know, he took a radical. God took a radical Paul, who was bashing up Christians, who was very happy to stand by where Stephen was stoned. He took that radical and he brought him into the kingdom. All right? These guys are religious radicals and Jesus can transform them. I challenge you with the, uh, the guy that spoke earlier about faith. Stretch your faith and pray for these radicals. Let's pray together. Lord, we stand before you as your children. I thank you, God, that this is your earth. There's no stone, there's no part of this earth, there's no heart you do not know. Hear our prayer, Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy 
on every single Islamic State cell on this planet. Lord, enter into every Islamic State cell that is planning violence and break it up. And reveal Jesus, we pray. Reveal Jesus to these men and women that have been so twisted and so misunderstand your message of love. Lord God, rescue them, we pray. And Lord, help us to be your people of love on this planet. In Jesus' name. Amen. So my question to you is, what or who shapes your life? What or who gives you meaning and identity and motivates you? When I was a child, it was my parents, definitely. And those of, when I was a little bit older, teenagers, I can tell you it was not my parents. <laughs> it was my friends. They were shaping me. When I was a young adult at university, it was a lot of ideas. New ideas, fresh ideas. And actually, during that time, I came to faith. And they were really shaping who I was as a young man. And then as we become older, it's our peers, those that are around us, that actually influence us and shape us. And as we become much older, and I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there, it's our family, isn't it? If we have no ideas that are shaping us, we are completely shapeless. As I've talked about recently, we prayed about this Islamic State. You know, these guys, they are fighting for their religion. They are fighting for God. They want to rescue their religion. They want to rescue the ideas of God. And that their, their ideology, what is shaping them is so distorted that they can kill teenagers in Manchester. They can walk onto a bus and kill men, women, and children. And these guys are, feel threatened. There's a young man that I met in Cairo. He said many of the friends in his neighborhood, they've lost any choice. He said they, they, had, they had a hope in the Muslim Brotherhood government, that that more religious government would bring a, an Islamic revolution and something new and fresh. But the military came in and kicked them out in a coup d'etat, and they said, some of those young people were saying, what else can we do? Bend our knee to the military and to what we hate, or fight? It's a serious message, and we've, we see it on television, but I want to say it, it's going to hit the whole world. Because people don't want to compromise. Some of us in this room maybe have parents who said, I am not going to bend my knee to this white government that was here 30 years ago. I'm going to fight. And all of us understand that. I would have been one of those. Because we're looking for change. We're looking for something that has meaning. And these guys in Islamic State, their lives have been shaped around a, an understanding of God that is distorted. 
And I would say as Christians, the most wonderful gift that God has given us, apart from Jesus, is his word. And I want to confess to you that reading the Bible is never an easy thing. When I came to faith at the age of 17, 18, reading the Bible was difficult. And I had had a good education. And the Bible was difficult to understand initially. Where do you begin? How do you start? I enjoyed someone who took a few scriptures, a few verses, and, ah, yeah, that makes sense. That person seems to know the Bible. But it took, it took years, actually. I remember doing a course which went from Genesis to Revelation. It took a few weeks. And that just opened my eyes to this amazing book that we have been given. Because the book has character after character after character, men and women, that encounter God and that have been transformed by God's action on this world. And if you can get into the Bible and you can get into the stories, you can discover, man, this, I sort of identify with that guy. I really do. And I love the Bible. My Muslim friends, this, 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 when they talk about the prophets, the Muslim will say, no, the, the prophets are all good and holy. Yes, they sinned, but we don't say about the bad things. You know, our Bible is no shame about talking about all the bad things the prophets did, all the bad things these great men and women of God did, and yet, or but God. I think if any of us stood up here, we could say, I love Jesus with all my heart. Sometimes. Yeah? I'll tell you, as, even as a Christian leader, especially as a Christian leader, yeah? We, if we walk with God, we understand His grace and mercy towards us, and it has transformed us. Praise God. That's what we walk in. We don't walk in, I'm a Christian, and we control, we're in America, and we're in Europe, and we have a wonderful heritage. That doesn't make us a Christian, the most exciting thing that we have as a Christian is that our leader died on a cross and rose from the dead. But he died on a cross. I mean, what a failed leader. If you read the scriptures, you will see that his followers regarded him as a failed leader. None of them were there at the cross. How many of us, when we hear these stories of the church being attacked, have to say, am I really serious about my Christian faith? I tell you, I walk out my door every day thinking, this might be my last day. Because of what we stand for and what we live for is really important. And we often lose sight of that. And I would say if we don't read the scriptures, at least try to read the scriptures, at least ask somebody to help you read the scriptures, you will not grow up into your God-given heritage. The scriptures prepare us for the life that God has given us. They answer many questions. They will not help you fix your computer. All right? That is that the scriptures just don't help me with my computer. And I have a lot of gray hairs with that. But it's and it and it doesn't always help you with difficult things in life. But it does introduce you to God who can give you patience when you really want to bash that screen. Yeah, okay? 
And, what's, and what Scripture shows us, which is fantastic, is that there, there's so much history in this world and we are tied into it. I love that about Scripture. It's full of all that God is doing. When, when I look at, I'm, I'm currently reading about Augustus. Now this character, he was the son of Julius Caesar. Now we all know Julius Caesar. You know Julius Caesar was declared a god by the Roman authorities. And so Augustus was the son of God. That term was around at the time of the early church. No wonder Christians died. Because they say, we follow, he is the son of God. No wonder the choices we make shape us and hopefully give us life. But when we understand the context of things... We can be encouraged now, all of us. Sorry. Isn't this such a pain? We are being renewed inwardly, but my eyes are not. (laughs) Not yet. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, a disturbing fact for my Muslim friends is that Jesus was a Jew. And I praise God for that. Because there's some, all these wonderful, disturbing things that, that annoy us, don't they? That when we're walking in South Africa and I'm a cool guy and I do this and do this, and then you realize who Jesus is and what he challenges us, that disturbs us. Because I want to walk this way and Jesus' way is this way. God is doing that all the time. But this Jesus person really messed up things for the religious establishment. The Jews today are still passionate about what God has called them to, who they are. And here is this Jesus person walking into Jewish society at the time of the Romans. When these Romans are standing at every corner, controlling them military-wise, pushing them down, not allowing them to stand up proud as Jews, controlling everything that they do, having puppets like Herod the Great who just compromised his Jewish faith so he can have power and money. And then you have Sadducees who just, you know, always bending the head politically. And then you have the Pharisees. I mean, they were the really good Jews, weren't they? No, they were. They were the model for the Jews of the time. They were passionate about the Scriptures. They knew where they were going. They were hoping in the Messiah. And they gave people tasks to do so that you could be Jewish. This is what makes me Jewish. And here comes Jesus, and he hangs out with all the bad guys, and he really gets upset with the, with the religious leaders. He said, you guys have missed it. And then, while Jesus was roaming around, this Saul of Tarsus was being educated by one of the greatest rabbi teachers of the time in Jerusalem. So he certainly would have heard all about this Jesus person. And you know, Paul, Saul, was angry about Jesus. And he was an angry guy. And we, we say he changed his name. I want to correct something with you. His name was Saul because that had, that's his Jewish links. But his name was Paul also because of his Roman citizenship. He didn't change his name when he came to faith. 
when he, when he decided to follow Jesus. He carried around these two names in him from the time he was born. Of course, he was Saul the Jew, primarily until Jesus sought him out and he changed his name because of his message. But this is a man that was carrying in him Jewish heritage, godly ideals, and Roman citizenship. How about that for tension? Okay? Many of us have that similar type of tension going on in our own hearts. And you know, as I've already said, he stood by while they stoned Stephen. He dragged people. I want you to imagine the soul of Tarsus. Angry guy, going from house to house, dragging people out their houses. This guy was not a nice guy. He was not a politically correct guy. He was passionate and zealous about what his God wanted to do on the planet. Until Jesus sought him and knocked him over. Blinded him. That must have frustrated him. When we're so confident and so strong, and then something happens in our body, we're reminded how weak we are. And God took his eyes away. He had to be led by somebody into Damascus. He had to wait this courageous Ananias coming to him. The beginning of Paul's formation was a real humbling. A real humbling. But you know what he counted from day one? Christians feared him, but they still approached him courageously. They still loved him. You know, we're going to have more and more fear in our hearts. We have to deal with that. Fear is a reality of life. But how we deal with that is important. I heard a story from a guy that worked in Afghanistan for many years. He said, one day a guy came to him. From a, he was a Taliban leader. And he said, I don't know what to do. I keep seeing blood, like all the way up my arm. I, I don't know what to do, but I've heard that you guys can do something about this. I can't get it away from me. I think I heard that this Jesus can clean away all this blood on my hands. And this man led this Taliban leader to faith. And Jesus cleansed him, cleansed him from this image that he was having over and over again of blood on his hands. I don't know how Paul felt when he met Jesus. Okay? He'd, he'd stoned Stephen. He'd been there. I don't know how many others he was involved in their murder. I don't know. No wonder what began to form in Paul just was deeply woven into all his writings. Most of the New Testament outside of the Gospels was written by Paul. Many people regard Paul as one who formed the idea of, of the Christian faith. In many ways he did. He took was a message that was essentially Jewish. Remember at this time it was mainly Jews that had come to faith. In fact, it was only Jews. And he took this message that Jesus said and he, and he took it to the Gentiles. He took it to those that were not Jewish. Imagine that sort of tension. You know, he suffered at the hands of his own people. And he took great courage that his Messiah had done exactly the same. Isn't that encouraging? 
You, some of you, many of you may have suffered at the hands of your own people, your own family. Take courage because your Messiah, same thing. Can you, is it possible to put up the scripture up there? The reason why I'm so caught up in Paul is that I've just finished a book by N.T. Wright. If you like reading big books, it's, it's the most amazing book on the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul. <laughs> if you go N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, the book is Paul. It's called Paul. And it's de- dealing with the faithfulness of God. But he says that this particular scripture forms the heart of Paul's teachings. Because it encapsulates so much of who Paul is. And I, and I hope that it can be much of who we are. I'm not going to read um, it all in one go. I'll just read the first two verses, 14 and 15. For the Messiah, Messiah's love makes us press on. We have come, come to the conviction that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all in order that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised on their behalf. You know, sometimes the image of Paul is, oh, anti-women, really angry, not a very good preacher, you know, very dogmatic in his thinking. That's what some of us think. We should never forget that the primary thing that Paul introduced to the church was that of love. He's got the most beautiful writings in 1 Corinthians 13. How many have not used that in weddings? It's the most beautiful idea of love. And what fashioned Paul's life was his encounter with Jesus and the love of God. You you know, when someone loves you, and if you've done something wrong and someone loves you, it disarms you. If you've done something wrong and someone shouts on you and you know, hits you or whatever, you, that's understandable. I really deserve to be beaten up because I've done something wrong. But if someone loves on you, it's completely disarming. And this Messiah's love. Every time you read the word Christ in the New Testament, change it to the word Messiah. Because I think as Westerners in particular, we just think it's Jesus' surname. It's just, it's just really lost its value. Like, uh, my name's Tim Briscoe, and there, this is my friend Jesus Christ. You know, and the word Christ has lost its meaning for us. But I'd like to say, I'd like to just say, it's the same as the word Messiah, anointed one of God, hoped, hoped for one by the Jews. They long for this guy. They still long for him to come. Believe it or not, Muslims are also waiting for the Messiah. That he will bring closure to the end of the age. These children of Abraham, Lord, save them. Us. (laughs) And, And Paul knew straight away it was sin that distorted everything. But it's God's action in Jesus that restored it. It brought us back to God. Verse 16. From this moment on, therefore, we don't regard anybody from a merely human point of view. Even if we once regarded the Messiah that way, we don't do so any longer. Thus, if anyone is in the Messiah, there is a new creation. 
old things have gone, and look, everything has become new. This is Tom Wright's translation. I love the fact that he puts exclamation marks. Because it is Paul encouraging us to remember that we are new creations. And to walk, as said earlier, in that faith. Because how many of us, even this last week, thought, you know, there's nothing new about me. I've done it again. I've displeased this person or I've displeased God. Paul is reminding you, the Lord Jesus reminds you, you are a new creation. That is a wonderful truth. He has dealt with your sin and he continues to deal with your sin and you are new. In Romans 8, 19 to 24, I'm not going to read it. It's, Romans 8 is probably the most amazing chapter in all of the Bible. Written by Paul to the church in Rome. But in Romans 8, it says something wonderful. It says, all of creation is groaning. How often have you come away from some situation and you are just groaning? Why? It's good to groan, okay? (laughs) Because all of creation is still frustrated with where this life is at. But in that, in that God has given us His Spirit. In that God has given us new life. In that, even in that situation, you can ask God, come on God, fix my marriage. Fix this situation. Help me at work. Groan with God, please. Don't just groan about the situation. There's a great temptation for anyone who's in their 40s and older. I think it happens then. I may be wrong. Is, is you have to fight against being cynical. You have to fight it. Because you just, oh, it's the same old, same old, same old thing. You're fighting it all the time, the older you get. And you can only fight it when you talk to God about it. That you groan with God about what you're frustrated about. Do I really need to pray again for South Africa? Yes, you do. You know what? This country has a heritage of prayer. I'm not going to even go. Just pray, guys. Pray. Even if you can't get to meeting, pray. And then verse 18 which Wright says is like the heart of Paul. It all comes from God. He reconciled us to himself through the Messiah, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is how it came about. God was reconciling the world to himself in the Messiah, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. A little bit tricky. Essentially, you look at Jesus That's all that God has done on this planet that's necessary. That's it. The focal point of all that God intends to do on this planet works in and through Jesus. This is Paul the Jew. The Jews that were expecting the Messiah to come back at the end of the age with all of them and us being resurrected. And he meets this resurrected Jesus Jew on the road, and it doesn't make sense initially. 
And he spends a lot of time searching the scriptures. And he said, this guy has taken all the law and all our sin. And he has died for all our rubbish. And so that we can be with God. That's it. It's as simple as that. Paul lived like that. And you know, there's no double. There's no two chosen people. There's not. There's only one. Those that follow Jesus. When Paul spoke about his own people, you can read it for yourself in Romans 9 to 11. He said, it's the most beautiful thing. He said, Lord, take me for them. I have heard some Muslim people that have come to faith, all they can say is negative evil about other Muslims. That is not the example of Jesus. That is not the example of Paul. Paul was very clear where the Jews, his people, had gone wrong. But he loved them. He loved his people. He said, God, take me so that you can save them. May God change our hearts, please. There's no two two things. God is doing something special. I think God is causing us Christians to love Jews and Israel so that they could be Jealous about our love for them. How can this Gentile, this foreigner, love us? Please see it that way. It's very important to see it that way. Why? Because we need to walk between the Jew and the Muslim. Christian, please. We need to walk between the Jew and the Muslim. And between the cultures. And say, it is Jesus only that reconciles you. We have a wonderful message. And Paul did it. Paul is that example. Fantastic. God wants us to be reconciled with him so that your life become boring. I want to tell you it's... Okay, I won't swear. When God calls you, it's the most amazing thing. And it's, it's the best adventure you could ever walk. And it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it'll always be hard. All right? Always be hard. But he's with us. Why? Because he's doing something new on this planet. He wants us to show everybody else whose life is also flipping hard that he, that he wants us to love them into the kingdom. And to draw them into the kingdom through Christ. Because if we walk in around, oh, I'm happy Christian, everything's wonderful in my life, no one can identify with that. Nobody. It's such a false thing. Oh, if you come to God, everything will be fine. All these trite things that we hear sometimes. It's not going to be fine. It's going to be hard. But you have the love of God that can fill you over and over and over again. The depression that you struggle with, the, the lack of identity, the, the desire for money, whatever. God can help you with those battles and strengthen you because he will highlight those things in your life. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, he, 
He's done that over and over in my life, and I hate that about God. I wish I could just keep sinning, because at times it's really nice. Yeah? But you know that if we walk with God, He will not let it be nice. He will say, that's filthy. That's away from what I want you to do, because you're You're a man of God. Walk like this. Treat your wife like this. Treat your husband like this. Treat your kids like this. Wonderful message. And it's not just, oh, we're reconciled with God. It's not like, hey, I'm a Christian now. All's okay. Paul doesn't leave it there. So we are ambassadors, speaking on behalf of the Messiah as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore people on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. That's our message. So don't keep quiet. It's not all okay that you're with Jesus. He's asking you to talk about it. He's asking you to live that life so that others may see it. If we have this wonderful view of the world that Jesus presented to us, reconciled with God, renewing, renewed creation going on in our hearts, being transformed, that's a great message for this world today. It really is a good message. And you know what's also shocking for Paul the Jew? Is that he uses these scriptures of our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You! You touch the, the topic of a temple with the Jew? Whoa, please. Even with some Christians. Don't talk about the temple. Paul talks about the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Same word. Why? Because what's going on in Jerusalem is not important. It's important. But where does it fit? It fits behind our personal encounter with Jesus. Many people, the Western world, as they've interpreted Paul's understanding of faith, that's why it becomes so individual. Because Paul saw Jesus on the cross and individual reconciling us to God. So we walk around our Western interpretation. Is it, oh, I'm being renewed. God's done it for me. It's all about me. Paul does not talk about that at all. We are part of his body. We are filled with his Holy Spirit corporately. That is his new temple. Praise God. I thank God. I have Muslim friends that get so excited about going to Mecca because they believe when you do this, um, when you go to Mecca, that God on that mountain forgives your sins. And when you pray, He's going to forgive all your family's sins as well. People pay money to go to Mecca so that their sins will be cleansed by the representative in Mecca. We don't have to worry about that anymore. They did before Jesus. Gee, Jews would need to make every effort to get to Jerusalem. But again, misunderstood. As Paul the Jew read his scriptures, Solomon's prayer, brilliant that there's a temple, brilliant that there's a tabernacle. Why? So that we could walk with God, not because so that we could worship the temple. Praise God for the message, but we've lost it. We lose it in our our identity of church. I go to church and that makes me holy. It does not. What makes you holy is this encountering point in your heart that God has chosen to reside in your bodies. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe that. 
I, I sometimes don't. I often don't believe that. But He does live in our bodies. It's wonderful. His Holy Spirit is at work in us. In fact, the Holy Spirit that we encounter is that promise, is that seal. These are all Paul's teachings that I'm repeating to you. I'm just talking what Paul has said. He's come to this new, fresh identity of who he is as a Jew, Roman, because he's a Jesus follower. Every day. So Paul essentially saw that Jesus is the place where heaven and earth came together. Jesus is dying on the cross and is coming back to life. I mean, there's so many topics that we could talk about, Paul, but it's Jesus is his major focus over and over and over again. And he encourages us. What I love about Paul, he's got this amazing big picture of life. And he communicates that to the church, but he goes right down to us as individuals as well. And he speaks into our hearts, and he says, this is Jesus is the focal point. Everything has happened in there, and he is reconciling us to God. And we have been entrusted as ambassadors with that message. God has entrusted us with wherever we live and work to be his ambassadors. So finally... Paul does ask us to grow up, doesn't he? Yeah. To, to mature. To grow up into Jesus. So are you clear on what shapes your life? Just be very careful on what is shaping your life is determining your life. And, and the encouragement from Paul is, there's hope. Yeah. That nothing that we do for him is in vain. Praise God. I'd like to read a prayer. A prayer of Paul's in closing. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to get your Bibles out. So let's come to the Lord in prayer. With, this, with, this, with these words. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ then Messiah will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand all of God's, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of the Messiah, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us 
to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in the Messiah Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.